good evening, Mosaic. I'm gonna be honest with you, it's a little weird to be the only one up here by myself starting us off this evening. So if you uh, are in the foyer and can hear me, go ahead and come on in. We're gonna get started. Um, We're gonna start with a little bit of efficiency. So we'll run through uh, announcements and stuff before the worship team comes up. But first things first, if you are new or if this is your um, first few times at Mosaic and you haven't quite gotten connected yet, we would love to connect with you. We've got that info booth there in the foyer. Um, If you are more comfortable with the tech side of things, you can scan that QR code or go to our website and uh, fill out an I'm new form. But essentially we would love to know who you are uh, and love to get you plugged in if that's what you're interested in. So um, for those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Ashley Covert. I'm the communications coordinator here. Um, And yeah, like I said, we're gonna run into some announcements. So first things first, as we are getting into the fall, we are kicking off a lot of fall launch things. So we're gonna try and hand them out to you week by week, uh, not dump all that information all at once. But what I wanna talk to you about now are some of the courses that we have coming up through our training center. So the training center, if you're not familiar, is located here on the Rogers campus. um, And we have incredible classes with amazing facilitators and teachers just totally at our disposal. So um, some of the highlights, we've got Panorama of the Bible, which is taking us through the entirety of the Bible start to finish and kind of tracing that singular theme. Um, We also have our faith and personal Bible study. Personal Bible study is a really good one to take part in because they're gonna be going over the book of Ephesians, which after we finish our fall launch, that's the series we're gonna kick into. So you can scan that QR code, head to the news page where all of our information lives and uh, get registered for those and learn a little bit more about them. Um, This next class that I'm gonna talk about, um, I'm actually gonna show a video for and then talk about some next steps. So as you are finding your seat, go ahead and watch this video. I received my salvation as an adult. Um, I spent some time in Sunday school as a kid, off and on, um, hearing the Bible stories, but that's about as far as my uh, Sunday school and Bible learning went as a child. So when I started attending church as a saved adult with the Holy Spirit, the Lord from the very beginning gave me um, just really a hunger to to understand His Word. Um, I started Sunday school or adult Bible fellowship. And then I spent most of the time with my hand in the air. I, not like I had all the answers, but I had all the questions. Um, we were studying John at the time, and I can remember thinking, I don't know whether to turn to the left or, or to the right. I had all the questions, and I wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to share my faith with other people, but I didn't even know how to defend the word. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know uh, where it came from. Is it believable? Why is it believable? Um, I just I didn't know anything. I wasn't equipped with anything. So I started to look for the material that I wanted for myself and I found some of that in online resources and I um, met some men who were not afraid to challenge me and had high expectations for me and believed that it was possible for me to learn um, things at a little deeper level uh, than what was being offered in my Sunday school and in my women's ministry material. And so because of that, I've just tried to cobble together a course of study for myself 
that's not seminary level, it's just very approachable. So I approached Carrie really from my own need and my own desire to um, have material available to women that was approachable. And um, I wanted to partner with Mosaic Women in providing that and putting together kind of a training program for women to teach the fundamentals of how to handle the Bible, not from a seminary level, but from a level that's comfortable for me and so comfortable really for anyone. Um, I, I want women to feel confident in handling the Word of God. We're, we're commanded to um, make ourselves workmen approved and to be ambassadors for Christ and to make disciples and to teach. And we can't do that unless we have a good foundation of biblical knowledge. So that's what Biblical Foundations is really meant to provide. Um, just a very basic uh, level beginning class that teaches you what the Bible is, where it came from, how it's organized, and how to use it. And that's really just been born from my own need and my own desire for, for, for knowledge. I think the Lord knew some of you were still coming in, so he wanted to restart that video. Um, so that's what the Biblical Foundations course is all about. So if you are unfamiliar with Melissa Church, um, she's been up on the stage helping teach some uh, of our John series, actually, and, and even before. Um, but she has worked incredibly hard uh, to put this course together to make studying the Bible, something that is approachable and um, a good hands-on tangible way to deepen your knowledge in scripture. So um, that QR code, again, everything lives on our news page. will take you to um, the Biblical Foundation's registration along with the other women's fall studies that we have going on. Um, but those are the announcements for the day. So um, this being the first weekend of the month, it's our next gen service. It's also when we do our prayer pauses. So now I want to go ahead and invite up Drew Martin, who is going to be leading us through our prayer pause this evening. Applause. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, hey, Mosaic. My name is Drew, and I'm part of the prayer team here. And I've been going to Mosaic for about four years now, and I've really enjoyed it. And uh, in tonight's time of prayer, we're going to just be directing our hearts towards the end of the Lord's Prayer. So over the past few months, we've been going through different uh, pieces of the Lord's Prayer, and we've just kind of been trying to slow down and relax and refocus on what's really important. And so tonight, we are focusing on the last part of the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. So um, I thought it was a really great segue that two weeks ago, Nick Rowland uh, talked about Jesus trying to tell the people about his coming kingdom. And this week, uh, so it's really convenient that for thine is the kingdom. And now we get to focus on the glory aspect of that. So uh, I would love to invite you guys to just take a deep breath. Go ahead and close your eyes. And I'd love you to think about what, what comes to mind? What do you imagine when you think about the Lord's glory? 
Now let me tell you what Moses and the people of Israel saw. Imagine you're out in the wilderness, in the desert, with thousands of people, maybe even millions, and the visible Holy Spirit in the form of a cloud is leading you to your destination. Then, as the day turns into night and you're starting to set up your camp, this cloud turns into a pillar of fire and is providing light to the whole camp. Just imagine the type of comfort that that would bring, being in pitch black darkness and then having a light and knowing that that's the Holy Spirit. And this happened for 40 years. And we know that this was a punishment, but how awesome to have the tangible Holy Spirit in leadership the entire time. So you can go ahead and open your eyes. So we see that his glory unified Israel. This was a picture of his glory, the pillar and the cloud. But this was also a promise of all of God's character together in one. Jesus also wanted us to see his glory. And he prayed that for us in John 17. He said, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given to me because you loved me before the world's foundation. And I, I just want to share a brief testimony with you guys too. Um, so I've, I've known about this moment for probably five or six months and have been praying, uh, Lord, what in the world do you say about glory? It's a huge topic. Uh, and you could focus on, I mean, you could preach sermons for, you know, the rest of eternity on glory. And uh, so I've been praying about this. And I'm like, Lord, what in the world do I say? And not until Tuesday of this week did I get clarity on what I was going to say. And so uh, the Lord tends to do that. And that was a little scary, but also like, oh, thank you. Um, and so he just, he just said this very clearly to me. He said, pray scripture. And I was like, okay, pray scripture, we will. Because one, um, I was having a conversation with a really good friend and we were talking about clarity that the spirit brings. And one of the little one-liners that just stuck out to me was nothing leads us as clearly as the pillar of fire and the cloud as the word of God. So tonight we're gonna pray, uh, we're gonna have a couple of scriptures up here. And we're going to take a couple minutes to just pray through each of these scriptures. Um, and they're both about the knowledge of God. And when we have that knowledge of God, that leads us to a better understanding of his glory. And one really powerful thing about praying scriptures, it teaches us to pray what's on the Lord's mind and what he wants for us and what's on his heart. And it also brings unity as we begin to see more of his glory together. So let's take some time to pray.
O God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and revelation so that we will know you better. Amen. Family, will you stand with us and sing tonight? I think one of the anthems of the church is the kingdom. I think the people of God as we live in this life and as we live in this world that's beautiful and God glorifying but full of sin, I think one of our anthems should continue to be how incredible the kingdom is, how glorious our good God in heaven is. In the midst of what we see around us, to constantly sing of how great his kingdom is, the fruit of his spirit, his precepts, etc. So let's sing together about that. I search the Turn the rays 
offering prayer aloud together. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to their glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son, and your Spirit. Amen. said that he will bring me home 
seated for the reading of God's Word. Hello, my name is Heidi Franz, and my husband and I have served and worshiped at Mosaic for 23 years with our four children. It's been a long time. <laughs> we have enjoyed every moment of it. A lot of you also knows me as Miss Heidi, as I'm the, one of the preschool worships to, pre, let's try that again, one of the preschool worship leaders to serve in the preschool area. Tonight we will be reading from John 21, verses 1 through 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. 
Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And all of God's people said, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for leading us and thanks for discipling our girls. Um, there's uh, some worship leaders in uh, the Blanchard household that have Heidi's fingerprints on them. And uh, that'll become clear in a minute, maybe. Good evening, Mosaic. My name's Will Blanchard, and uh, I serve on the training center team here at Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, I serve as the multiplication team leader. And if you're new to the Fellowship family, you may not know that, that Fellowship is, is one church that consists of multiple congregations. You've got a congregation in Fayetteville, Fellowship Fayetteville. As you kind of work your way up the 49 corridor, you have Fellowship Mosaic here on Saturday nights, Fellowship Rogers here on Sunday morning. To the north, Fellowship Bentonville. Celebrate Recovery down in Fayetteville on Friday night. Celebrate Recovery here on Friday night. Then also Samaritan Church Springdale that many of you are familiar with and Samaritan Church Rogers that have come out of Mosaic. And together, we are united around this incredible vision of seeing the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas transformed and changed by Jesus Christ. And together we engage in that and do that by producing and releasing leaders, spiritual leaders who are capable of knowing and expressing the authentic Christ. And one of the things that I find so compelling as we look to the future is the belief that God has positioned each fellowship congregation including the one that you're a part of here, to become launching pads for disciple-making leaders and church plants. In fact, one of the things that the, the training center team has been asking ourselves now for several months is how many unique church plants would it take to reach 500,000 new people, which is the number that's projected for Northwest Arkansas to grow by over the next 10 to 15 years. And as we ask that question, as we lean in to say, God, show us what would it take? In faith, we're developing a clear path for the training center to assist each congregation here at Fellowship in assessing, equipping, and coaching future church planting teams to plant churches in Benton and Washington County and beyond. And tonight, as we wrap up our John series, it's fitting that we're gonna look at a topic, at actually an encounter between Jesus and Peter and, and address a topic of leadership that I believe is one of the great inhibitors to multiplication. One of the primary roadblocks to healthy leadership and multiplication is something every single person in this room is familiar with. It's shame. You know, the incredible thing about shame is there's something that happens in life that robs our innocence. 
our hope for the future and replaces it with shame. In fact, I was thinking of that transition as, as the worship team was leading us a few moments ago. I leaned over to my wife and one of the songs that we just sang about freedom, I will never be able to sing that song without visually picturing one of our little girls singing about the freedom in Christ wrapped in a bath towel on the stairs of our home. She had been singing it in the bath. She climbed out of the bath. I happened to be sitting on the stairs and I asked her, hey, Hannah, come sing that song to me. By the way, don't mention to her that I told you this story. She would, in a couple years, shoot me. She's still little, so she doesn't understand, but, but she comes out of the bath, wrapped in a bath towel, singing about the freedom we have in Christ. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. And as she starts to belt it out, the towel falls and it doesn't phase her at all. In fact, she gets louder and gets stuck in a loop on that song. And I'm sitting there thinking, I wish I had a tenth of the confidence that you have right now to worship Jesus in front of the family, the, the towel falls and you actually get bolder. I mean, that is true freedom, right? It's a level of freedom that most of us in this room do not have. And what's replaced that for many of us is the pressure and the baggage of shame. And so often, that shame inhibits us as leaders or inhibits a church from truly expressing the spiritual multiplication that Jesus desires to have in our life. And tonight, we get a front row seat as we look at John chapter 21 of how Jesus, with a personal encounter with Peter, is gonna address the issue of shame. Mosaic, would you pray with me for just a moment before we turn to the text? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its ability to illuminate and to reveal and to speak truth into our lives. Lord, we come tonight with the posture of speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We give you free reign. Work in and through us as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, we're wrapping up our John series tonight and we're gonna take a look at John chapter 21. As Heidi read the first 14 verses to us, we notice this passage starts with a key word, afterward. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. And it's important to understand the context of what's taken place to this point. Afterwards is referring to the death, burial, resurrection, and the appearance of Jesus Christ. The disciples at this point may have been disillusioned and even confused. Peter in this moment likely felt ashamed and unworthy. Why is that? Peter we know to be one of the leaders of the disciples. He had a strong personality. Some might even describe Peter as the personality of ready, fire, aim. And some of us in this room can relate to that. 
In fact, usually those of us that find ourselves with those strong sort of type A personalities, we almost take pride in our ability to take action when others are passive. But that same strong personality, when Jesus needed him the most, acted like a coward. You see, Peter, on the night of Jesus's trial and eventual crucifixion, had other people come up to him and say, aren't you one of Jesus's followers? Aren't you one of the disciples? In fact, one of those people that questioned Peter was a young girl. And there by a fire, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And he did so forcefully. In fact, Luke records that as Peter did that, he must have been in close proximity to Jesus because it says that Jesus even made eye contact with him. And the overwhelmness of grief and shame, Luke chapter 22 tells us that Peter ran out of there and wept bitterly. That's the context of what's taking place here in chapter 21. And so Peter, in response to that, likely in verse three, when he says, I'm going out to fish, this is not just a, hey guys, I'm gonna go out and blow off some steam and clear my head, I need to go fishing. But rather many commentators believe that Peter's proclamation here of I'm going out to fish is him returning to his former place of security. Peter, a fisherman, was a fisherman when Jesus called him to come be his disciple. And likely in this moment, this moment of insecurity and shame, he's letting his buddies know, hey, I'm going out to fish. I'm going back to what I used to know. I'm going back to what I used to be good at, the things that brought me security because I clearly can't hack it as a disciple. You know, as we understand this passage and work our way through it, this phrase, I'm going out to fish, it really does matter who proclaimed it. In fact, maybe a sort of a modern day parallel to understanding this phrase would be, if I told Sarah tomorrow, hey, Sarah, I'm going out or I'm going back to play football, she would not assume that means professionally, right? I've, you don't have to laugh at that. You could have been thinking, well, I think Will could hack it. At least that's what I tell myself. No, Sarah, she wouldn't think that either. She would assume, oh, he's going to play football with some neighbor kids, right? But yet, if Tom Brady, after retiring for 30 days, announces to the world, I'm going back to football, you don't assume, oh, I bet he's going in the backyard for a pickup game. No, you assume he's coming back for another ring. He's coming back to play professionally. And so here Peter is telling the disciples, I'm going back to fishing. I don't think I'm cut out to be the disciple that Jesus thought I could be. And we see here in this passage the power of influence that the other disciples go with him 
to return to this profession. And here in verse four, we see Jesus enter the scene. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. I really would like to know the dynamics of that question. It sort of feels like a gotcha moment, but I just, you know, it really would have been fascinating to be there because Jesus knew the answer, right? He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. You know what's incredible about this, really this miracle of Jesus is he had done it before with the same set of disciples. In fact, he's recreating a very familiar scene. In fact, Jesus did a very similar miracle when he first called the disciples to come and follow him. You see, in Luke 5, when Jesus first called his disciples to follow him three years earlier, basically the same set of circumstances and scenario presented itself. But in that moment, Jesus was so clear to his disciples exactly what his mission was all about. In fact, in that moment when Jesus is first calling his disciples to follow him, he uses it as a teachable moment to go, guys, you think it's thrilling to catch fish? Come follow me and I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. You see, the mission of Jesus was always and is always crystal clear. It's reaching and saving people. And Jesus here is addressing the shame of Peter and the other disciples through personal connection with them. And he's using some very familiar items. He's stepping in to their world and once again reminding them that redeeming and restoring disciple makers was the central focus of his life and ministry. And in that moment, the disciples would have had a powerful reminder of going, he is the savior. He called us, he's shown us how to fish and invest in people. And even in our disillusionment and shame and confusion, he's calling us back to what he has so consistently instructed us with over the past three years. And watch the response in verse seven. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Peter here, this word for jumped, it it literally could be translated in a very literal sense, threw himself violently into the water. This wasn't a graceful, oh, it's Jesus, swan dive off the boat, gently paddle to shore. No, it's a, 
oh, it's my Lord. Dive into the water, violently swimming to shore. You know, as I, as I saw that in the text this week, two visuals came to my mind of what it would have looked like to watch Peter violently throw himself over the boat and swim to the shore to have this interaction with Jesus. The first thing that came to mind was the visual of Forrest Gump. You seen that movie? It's been a while. Forrest Gump throwing himself off the shrimp boat and swimming to the dock to see Lieutenant Dan, who showed up as the boat careens in to a dock. The other visual that comes to my mind, that this won't come of surprise to many of you, but, but doing things that I'm not gifted at has never intimidated me. I, I, when I was first getting into endurance sports, I was so captivated by the concept of doing a triathlon and I did not know how to swim effectively. But that didn't bother me from signing up for a triathlon that started with a mile swim. I, I felt like I could not drown and the enthusiasm would take me through that mile swim and then I could get onto the fun stuff, the biking and the running. And so in one of my very first Olympic distance triathlons, a mile swim, I remember as this swim started in a mass start, which is very chaotic, lots of people kicking and trying to jockey for position. I remember swimming and feeling fairly comfortable that I was making it. Like, hey, I can do this. When at the time out there in the lake, they have people on surfboards and paddle boards and kayaks that are there to make sure no one's drowning. I literally had a guy in a kayak come over to me and ask, do you need help? <laughs> and I remember thinking for a moment, bro, I don't need help. It's obvious, isn't it? Like, I got this. But there must have been something about the way I was swimming that appeared that I was drowning. <laughs> there was nothing Michael Phelps streamlined, efficient about this movement. It must have appeared like a shark attack in the lake. And I picture Peter in that moment, realizing it's Jesus. He's only a thousand yards from the shore. And in fact, the disciples, you know, it's like a couple rows and then we're there. But somehow in that moment, Peter sees Jesus, jumps into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore about a hundred yards when they landed they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread you know at first glance this idea of Jesus being there on the shore preparing breakfast calling to his disciples kind of a, a repeat you know Part two of a significant miracle, the disciples coming to shore, Jesus there, a fire of burning coals. At first glance, there may not be much significance about what's taking place. And yet the text records some detail that I think is worthy for us to examine. You know, here in verse nine, this idea that when they landed and walk up to Jesus, that he's prepared, the text is so specific here, a fire of burning coals. You know, all throughout the Old and New Testament, the concept of fire is, is filled hundreds and thousands of times. It was, it was a part of everyday 
life in the ancient world. The concept of fire is all throughout scripture. And yet the detail here of a fire of burning coals has some significance. In fact, if you hone in on the specific word used to describe the type of fire that Jesus built, you'll find that it's only mentioned one other time in all of scripture. Do you know where it was? It's referred to in John 18, verse 18, to describe the exact fire that Peter was warming himself around on the night of Jesus's trial, crucifixion, where he denied Jesus three times. You talk about a trigger moment that Peter here is coming face to face with his Lord and Savior and he walks up to a small fire that reminds him of the exact fire just a short time ago that he was warming himself around when he denied even knowing Jesus. And in this powerful moment, this powerful encounter between Jesus and Peter, we see that rather than dismissing Peter's shame and going, hey man, don't worry about it. Jesus goes right to it. What Peter perceived as his greatest failure and source of shame, Jesus was about to bring powerful restoration. You see, rather than Peter for the rest of his life, walking up to that small fire or hearing a rooster crow and being reminded of his sin and shame and cowardness and weakness, perhaps for the rest of his life, he would be reminded that even though he denied Jesus, his savior took the time to prepare breakfast for him and invite him around the same type of fire to talk through what had happened. You see, Jesus restored Peter's leadership through personal connection with him around simple items such as fish, a fire, and as we'll see in just a moment, a conversation about his future leadership. That's the type of Jesus we know and serve. And so as we work our way through this text, it should cause us tonight to even consider what are the primary sources of shame in your life? Are they past failures that just continue to be recycled in your mind over and over and over again? Are they words spoken over you by someone else? Maybe even in your childhood, words spoken over you of you'll never measure up, you'll never amount to anything. By a, a friend or a loved one, maybe who even had good intentions. Obviously, I don't know what those sources of shame are, but I do know that we serve a risen savior who specializes in dealing with shame directly. 
not dismissing it, but forgiving it, restoring it, and bringing it into the light. You know, this past week, I actually was reminded by my watch, a Garmin GPS watch just reminded me what shame does in our life so often when it's undealt with. One of the things that that shame will do in our life is it will cause us to overreach. It, it, It will cause us to try to prove ourselves in environments where no one's asking us to prove ourselves. And yet internally, we feel the pressure. I've got to show people I do have what it takes. And it usually leads to leadership in areas with clenched fists and gritted teeth. I'm tougher. I can do this on my own. In fact, for the first time, I've never seen my watch tell me this. But my guy that I was running with, we had a pretty good laugh about it. I've noticed the last couple weeks that with the heat and humidity, even going early runs in the morning, that the guy that I'm running with, my neighbor, we're not backing down our pace any. We're trying to perform at the same levels that we were during cooler temperatures. And so I finished a run this week and sometimes it'll tell us, hey, your training day was good or bad or you know, I don't really know how it calculates, it takes into account heart rate and all this other stuff. But it was so funny because the, the message for my week's summary was you're overreaching. I remember taking a screenshot of it and sending it to Corey going, man, I think I gotta reevaluate my whole life. Like even my watch knows I'm overreaching. I don't think this is just in training, you know? You go all philosophical on it. But that's what shame will do so often in our life. We're not even aware of it sometimes, but it will cause us to become these white knuckle, teeth gritted leaders of, I will have a good marriage and I will raise good kids and I will prove myself in my vocation. And shame makes for such a terrible leader in our lives. Or the other side of shame, or you could say the other ditch that shame leads us into is that we underreach. Rather than overreach, we just accept the fact, I'm a loser, I'm a failure, why try? I'm always gonna struggle with fill in the blank. There's no point. But you contrast that to the life of a believer who has sat down with Jesus and maybe some trusted friends and his word and has dealt with shame head on and allowed Jesus to speak into that and to provide healing and restoration and a true clarity of identity. And what begins to happen that same leader suddenly has the ability to walk in the confidence of humility. That suddenly, if it's in relationships or in marriage, you don't show up with something to prove, but you show up with a servant's towel over your arm, ready to serve. If it's in a vocation, suddenly it begins to fuel restored shame Restored freedom that Jesus brings suddenly allows us in a vocation to show up with a servant's towel over our arm, using our gifts and talents that are given to us by God, knowing that it's for his glory and for the good of others, and it's able to fuel 
servant leadership, a restored life is capable of walking in the confidence of humility, of knowing what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so maybe a follow-up question tonight. Have you dealt with your shame in a healthy way recently? As we see occurring in the life of Peter. Let's continue on in verse 15. Not only is Jesus using something like fish and a fire to make this personal connection, but he's also gonna look to Peter's future. In verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's a little bit of debate here about what the word these means. Jesus could have been in that moment pointing to fish. Do you love me more than financial prosperity? Do you love me more than this big catch? He could have also been pointing to the disciples. Do you love me, Jesus, more than your business partners? Or he could have actually been pointing to both. He's sort of saying to Peter, Peter, just 24 hours ago, you said you were going back fishing, but do you really love me more than anything else this world could offer? Notice Peter's response. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, probably like most of us, was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, in this passage here, Jesus is not busting Peter. Like, hey, Peter, I want to remind you of something. You screwed this up last time. You denied me three times. So I'm going to stick it to you by asking you three times again just to remind you of what you did. No, rather Jesus is helping restore a shameful moment in the recent past so that Peter can pursue his assigned mission from a place of health. You see, I really believe Jesus here is using the power of repetition and even proclamation in the context of community to help reorient Peter on the new identity that is given to him in Jesus Christ. You see, three denials is replaced with three statements of love and it produces a life on mission. And you know what, Mosaic? The same continues to be true in our lives today. That so often, when we look at the way that Jesus has hardwired human beings, we were designed 
to experience health and restoration and freedom in relationship with God and in healthy relationships with others. And when it comes to dealing with issues of the past, particularly issues of shame, those are best processed in the presence of other people who are pointing us to Jesus. And so whether that's with the relationship of a counselor at the Counseling and Care Center on the front side of our campus or any number of gifted counselors across Northwest Arkansas that are there to process with us and point us to Jesus, or that occurs in the relationship with other trusted allies who we know are have our back and are in our corner and are desire to point us to Jesus, or it happens on a weekly basis in living rooms and in coffee shops all over Northwest Arkansas in the context of community, that Jesus has designed us for personal connection, for freedom from shame and for restoration and to do that with others. You know, one of the things that really struck me with Peter's restoration of leadership here is even to consider the fact that you've got this pivotal conversation happening. It's not just between Peter and Jesus, but rather it's Peter and Jesus and a group of disciples over breakfast. They all know what happened. They all know who Jesus is. And they're all wrestling with what does it look like in a courageous way to step into the mission that he's entrusting to our care. And so in the context of community, Jesus is bringing about restoration and helping them drive stakes in the ground of understanding their identity and what he's about to call them to do. And it's incredible to think of Peter here going from a leader it's on the brink of throwing in the towel to literally less than two months later would proclaim the gospel at Pentecost and 3,000 people would become saved and baptized and give their life to Jesus. Can you imagine the switch that had to flip in the life of a leader to go from being cowardly to stepping into and owning the mission that Jesus is entrusting to him. He had to become a leader through the personal connection with Jesus that could release the shame of the past and step into the new identity that Jesus had prepared for him. You see, Jesus restored Peter's leadership through personal connection and he did it with very simple items with fish, a fire, and a conversation about his future. And so tonight, Mosaic, we encourage you, particularly during the closing worship set, just to consider what might God be saying to your life tonight? What areas is he, is he illuminating? What areas, what nudges or whispers are you hearing from the Father? Steps of faith that you could take. A renewed calling to the mission that he's entrusted to our care. But above all else, Mosaic, 
Let's continue to be a body that does a good job at listening. Listening to what Jesus has to say about shame. Listening to what Jesus has to say about our own salvation and restoration. Listening to what Jesus has to say about his plan for our future. Mosaic, would you pray with me again? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are a God that takes our shame, takes our past failures, forgives them, cleanses them, restores our lives, and calls us to live on mission with you. Lord, thank you for being a God whose strength is on display in our weakness. Lord, we rest in that tonight. We worship and adore you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
You know, Mosaic, there's a beautiful verse that John closes his gospel out with. It says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. You know what's incredible about that truth? Is Jesus continues his work across the earth today. He continues to transform lives, to save people, to take what was filled with shame and provide freedom. And he invites us to live on mission with him. He desires to produce waves of multiplication in and through our lives so that more people might know of his goodness. And we get to bear witness to this incredible process. Is that not incredible? You know, tonight, Mosaic, as we head out, I think I got something to read to you. <laughs> Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. We love you, Mosaic. Have a great week.